0: Hi, and welcome to the January 5th, 2019, uh, Saturday morning meditation meetup. This is a regular Saturday morning meditation meetup. It happens every Saturday at 10 a.m. East Coast time. And this is the recording of that session. Um, You're welcome to join in person. And of course, you're also welcome to listen to the podcast as you're doing now. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming what we do here is basically just kind of talk about our practice. Um, I usually either see if somebody's eager to go first and if so, then they go, or if not, then I just pick somebody and they go,
1: Mike, do you want to go? Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, so I was earlier in the your notes, yeah, I was re- going through my notes. <laughs> nice. Hold on. Uh, yeah. So I was, My goal for this week, um, because I think last time I talked about, uh, I was basically practicing in stage one um, for most of, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went back, I read through some stage one, stage two practice uh, advice in the book. um, And my goal really was just to relax, try to evoke joy, um, make sure I was doing some things right. As it turns out, I've been I've been counting on the wrong breath this whole time. So it turns out I was doing I was uh, counting after the end of the in breath rather than the end of the out breath, which maybe wasn't it was not recommended as much by Chuladasa in the book. He said at the end of the out breath do that. Um, so I think that helped because it was starting to get a little more PT um, joy, waves, I guess. Um, and then for a few days, uh, back to dullness. And then on January 2nd, I don't know, I got a lot of sleep. I had read some stuff the night before and I kind of like knew it was going to be a good sit. I don't know why It's going to be good. Um, and a lot of interesting things happened. Um, one thing I was kind of focusing on too was, um, uh, lightness of the of attention on the breath and uh, I had just read some Pima Shodron, um and she via her teacher was it Trungpa Bhuset he so, like three different ways he was trying to explain to people how to be light on the breath and one thing he said was like just touch and let go your attention on the breath touch and let go so I, I kind of used that and I think that was helpful and um, and I was practicing mostly into stage four pretty soon, maybe getting it over to stage five level um, and uh, some joy, um, some challenge, some of the life challenges were kind of starting to intrude. And I I, I noticed that and I like made a decision. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to stay with meditation because this is actually more fun,
2: <laughs>
1: which is not usually the case. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and uh let's see I, so at one point basically this happened was I started to feel like I was spinning um almost like a dizziness which I don't usually get too much I might have a little bit of the like I, don't, I wouldn't call it a falling sensation but this was definitely like spinning and so I opened my eyes and I still felt kind of dizzy it was still going um, so I decided to close my eyes and just observe it. And uh, I was actually uh, starting to almost feel nauseous because I felt like I was like literally in a spinning like roller coaster or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I tried not to observe. I just uh, I just tried not to judge it. I just tried to observe it. Um, and then as I noticed more, I kind of felt like an energy that was pulsing in tune with my breath and was traveling from the left side of my body to the right side. So that's where the spinning feeling came from.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And I know I had read a little bit about, uh, about the energy flow and stuff like that. So I just, kind of tried to observe it. Um, after a little while, it kind of went away. Um, that's the first time that's happened. And uh, I had kind of a, I don't know I was, you know, I have a lot of like dreamlike imagery when I'm sometimes when I'm dull but I had a kind of an interesting self image of myself um because mm-hmm. I had my I was sort of outside and in my sunroom so it was kind of cool I had my hood on and I kind of felt like uh I was looking out through my eyes I kind of felt like a large shell of a statue that was that I was inside the statue and looking out from inside so of course I read up in the book right after that And it it described all the exact things that was, I'm like, I bet this is in the book touching on this. I went and he's like, Yep, okay, so here's this, this, this. And it was exactly how it it happened for me in the physical pliancy uh, section. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's as much as I went through. So that was really cool. Um, And then the next day, even though I told myself not to have expectations for that, I did. And I was very disappointed and agitated that nothing really (laughs) happened.
0: yeah yeah so there's a andrew does a practice and the teacher the teacher has this thing he says that like you know never try to replicate what you did yesterday because when you try to replicate what you did yesterday you're not doing what you did yesterday you're doing the trying to replicate what you did yesterday
1: yeah yeah I, i i knew in my head that but for some reason it It's still, and then the day after that, I kind of went back to some uh, more focused um, uh, uh, attention, and I wasn't as agitated as much. So I think that was just like a day after thing because that's probably the most uh, advanced uh, experience that I've had. So
0: that's awesome. So yeah I mean I was gonna I was gonna point out the the, the uh, sort of pacification thing, but it sounds like you're already kind of there, so I don't need to explain that to you <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yeah i've 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 read out, up actually on that specific area a lot because even when I first started meditating, I would get like hints of that with mm-hmm. the like um, homunculus feeling once in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that was like the very first thing that ever happened to me um, and then it kind of went away and then it rarely once in a while, something like that happens. So I like, go back to that chapter, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. and now I have the audio in the Mita or, or whatever that's called in the, the other one. So yeah, here, here and there, they've kind of been happening. So I'm, I was kind of familiar with that, but other than that, that's in stage six and I don't necessarily feel like most of the time I'm practicing in stage six. So I think that's more of just a yeah. what's possible Thing or what do you think about that?
0: So um, I think that you know one of the challenges that you face now is that you've gotten you've you've noticed that there is a lack of reproducibility in your practice right now, and um, that's uh, you know one of the one of the things that I love about TMI is that it's kind of all about reproducibility. And so so the question is like what's going on here? Um, and so you kind of need to be a little scientific about it, like like you know notice what is working and what's not and that's not easy because you know you don't want to get too into observing what you're doing because if you do that you're not really doing your practice but you kind of need to notice um to some extent what's working and what's not so you you it's a very delicate balance there but one thing i'll point out to you is that you said you said that you had the feeling that your practice was going to go well today and then your practice went well now one way to, to look at that is to say, wow, I had like this amazing ability to predict the future, right? (laughs) Like, like I saw into the future and and I saw that my practice was going to be great. And and sure enough, it was great. So obviously I have the ability to predict the future, right? Well, um, maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not going to say you don't, but, but another, another explanation for that is that um, you thought your practice was going to be good. So you weren't giving yourself any negative self-talk about your practice because you thought it was going to be a good day. And sure enough, it was a good day. So, um, so that would be, to me, that's a pointer, right? Like, cause you know, when I hear you talk about your practice, I do hear a lot of very subtle negative self-talk. Um, so one of the things I would suggest that you look at um, very methodically, don't like, don't like guilt trip yourself out about this, be scientific about it, take notes, be, you know, Test it. Test the theory, but but look and see if um, you can use affirmations as a way to counter the negative self-talk. Um, and the affirmation you have to be careful about the affirmations because you don't want to give yourself affirmations that aren't true, that don't turn out to be true, because then you'll, <clears throat> you'll be training yourself to be disappointed. But um, uh, you know, one thing to, to do is is uh, it's a little bit less than than. I mean, one thing you can do is you can say, okay, whatever happens today, this practice is going to be great. Whatever happens in my practice today is going to be great. It might not be amazing, but it's going to be great. Um, That's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is you can be like, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in my practice today. And whenever you have a thought that that contradicts that, then just allow yourself to not know what's going to happen in your practice today. Um, so basically <clears throat> investigate ways to, to notice if there's negative self-talk happening and if there is just to release it, not to try to suppress it because that won't really work. If you try to suppress it, you're just going to get into a battle with between sub and you don't want to get into a battle between sub You're trying to unify your sub but just like when you're, when you, when a sub comes up and says the practice is going to suck today or you're doing this wrong or something like that, just, just, try to go back to like beginner mind. Like, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm doing this right or wrong. I don't know whether this is going to work. Let's see if this is going to work rather than I think I'm doing this wrong. All right. Let's see if this is going to work. Like, you know, you noticed that you were doing the counting of the breath wrong. And that was, <laughs> that was kind of funny. Cause on the one hand, it's like, it's like you know that's a little bit of negative self-talk. On the other hand, it actually worked for you, right? You were like, "Oh, I'm doing the breath wrong. So now, if I do it right, then surely miracles will occur." And sure enough, they did, and that's great, right? So, um, so, so I would suggest that one of the reasons why that worked is not so much because it's wrong to count the breath, uh, to count the the breath at the in breath, but or sorry, I guess at the at the beginning, I can't remember what you what you said you're doing wrong, but but whatever it was, um, it's not so much that it was wrong as that you realized that you were, that you knew now how to do it right. And, and you were confident that you were doing it right. And that confidence itself counteracted a bunch of negative self-talk. So, which is not to say that you shouldn't count the breath right because you absolutely should, you know, if you do it the other way, it's totally not going to work. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I don't know I don't know if these suggestions help, but but hopefully,
1: yeah, I think it's helpful. i I try to mentally mentally prepare, well, I'm saying, rationally think that way. sometimes it doesn't always go as rational, but yeah, maybe there's some techniques here with the affirmations and stuff to kind of yeah on that note. but I mean
0: you could you can do affirmations. You don't have to do them at the ge- beginning of the practice. You certainly can. I mean, I was talking to to bathtub Bob the other day and and he said, he used to do this thing where he would visualize the, the whole practice before he did it. And then he would do it. <laughs> and, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty impressive. So, you know, if that worked for him, I'm like tempted to say that it's worth trying, but, you know, you know, so in other words, basically what he's doing is he's saying, you know, I have some clear idea of what I could be doing in this practice and here's how I want it to go. And, and just by setting that intention, then it would go that way.
1: I will say that one one thing I noticed is um, um, so it was that, that day, and then the day after was pretty agitated, and then the day after mm-hmm. that went um, more focused, smoother. Um, on those two days that it went well, it was uh, was uh, pretty quiet in where I meditated, as opposed to mm-hmm. almost circumstances where maybe someone's moving around, mm-hmm. lunch, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm supposed to kind of deal with whatever comes up mm-hmm. and I don't know if maybe I'm not dealing with it as well. Cause it's, it's it might be agitating me, the sounds and stuff like that. So,
0: so that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, let me suggest a different way to put it rather than dealing with what's coming up. Um, notice if you're fighting with what's coming up, notice if there's an internal mental battle with what's coming up. So um, like, If there's something annoying going on, for example, I'm not saying you're getting annoyed or something. I'm trying to accuse you of mental afflictions, but I'm just saying if there's something annoying
1: going on. No, I am getting annoyed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. So if there's something annoying going on, the thing that's going on isn't what's annoying, right? It can't be. It's just a thing that's going on, right? It doesn't have any emotional content, right? Where is the emotional content coming from? It's not coming from the thing. It's coming from you. So if it's coming from you, then... Then you could notice how that's happening, and so, so one of the, and and by the way, noticing how it's happening is really difficult, and I'm not saying that you should be able to notice how it's happening right now or anything like that. I mean, if you can, it's great, and you should certainly aspire to notice how it's happening. But you may not succeed, and if you don't, it's okay that you don't that you don't succeed. But what you want to do is have that mental attitude of recognizing that something is happening. Right, recognizing that that thing out there is not what's disturbing my mind. That thing out there is an excuse that some part of my mind is using for being disturbed. Or excuse is really not even the right way. There's a part of your mind that feels like it's a problem that it needs to solve, and that part of your mind is is focusing on solving the problem and that arises as a feeling of annoyance or distraction or whatever it is, however it arises. I mean, it doesn't have to arise as annoyance, but it often does. Right. And annoyance is great because there's like some, some definite, you know, negative Vedana to annoyance. Like you, you, you notice it because it, it it has some, it has some, some feeling associated with it. So it's actually kind of a great signal to use. Um, so one of the practices, you know, I'm not saying do this your whole meditation practice, but if you find yourself getting distracted by what's going on outside notice that, notice that that's happening, notice the negative data, wonder about it. And you may find, and I I say this based on personal experience, if you do that practice, you may find that, you know, it takes a while, but after like 15 minutes, suddenly you're just like, oh. And that annoyance just disappears. And then you can just do your meditation practice and stop (laughs) worrying about the distraction, the, the distracting noise. So, you know, and I'm not saying that, I mean, like, don't feel pressure to do that. I mean, that's something that I learned how to do, you know, fairly recently after a lot of breakthroughs. So I'm not saying it would be easy for you to do, but, but it certainly is a thing that can happen. And, and so, so having that intention in mind to notice that can, even if it, even if you don't completely get rid of it, can definitely help you to, to, to do your practice in that context. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Uh, Do we have uh, somebody who wants to be next? Okay. Jan,
4: what's up? Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. All right. Great. Um, I actually had a question about um, effort and maybe over effort. Mm -hmm. Um, I did uh, between Christmas and New Year's. I did like a three-day mini-retreat of six hours um, each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I noticed there was um, I, I was drained each day. Like I was just mentally exhausted each day. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But what's, what I also noticed was the next day, the next morning, I got a bit of tension uh, in my head. Like I was maybe doing too much, doing too much effort. And, um, I was also like reflecting this on my practice because I'm, uh, a lot of the time I'm doing stage seven practice and in stage mm-hmm. seven, you should keep distraction away with effort, but maybe I've been over efforting and I'm wondering, um, how you can see when you're over efforting because in normal or in daily life, I meditate for about two hours and then, uh, one hour in the morning, one hour later on the day, and then I don't notice any over-efforting necessarily. Mm-hmm. But, um, during those longer sits, um, it came up more. So I'm not sure, uh, how you can uh, notice that when you're over-efforting and how you should do uh stage seven properly then.
0: Well, so let me ask you this. Um, uh, bear in mind that my personal facility with Stage 7 is not a particularly reliable guide. So, so I'm asking you these questions more as, as, as uh, you know, Socratic dialogue than because I know the answer. Um, so first of all, you said that you noticed that you've been over-efforting after some amount of practice has occurred. Does that mean that you're not noticing any feeling of over efforting during the practice?
4: Mm, it doesn't seem like that now. Okay. So it's right. more like, um, if I, um, uh, it's more like a feeling, uh, sometimes when I am state seven, that I'm really like really concentrated and really like, um, really like, uh, staying with the concentration, but that concentration requires like effort. It, mm-hmm really requires effort that's how it feels
0: so so but I'm, I'm hearing a contradiction here so you're saying you're saying that you that that your stage seven concentration requires effort but that you don't feel like there's a, you don't have a feeling
4: of effort while you're
0: doing it is that true
4: oh yeah um no i'm i'm feeling an effort while i'm doing it
0: okay yeah. so um so the advice that tends to be given at this point is to see how little effort you can do and have it continue. Okay. Um, and in other words, so, so you know that you're doing, you're, you're making some effort to keep your attention stable, right? See how little effort you can put in and have it still be stable because the, the, the really the practice of stage seven is, is, is noticing that it's doing that it's learning how to over time, how to set the intention and then let go Mm
4: -hmm.
0: and then have, have no effort be happening. And yet the meditation remains exclusive and stable. So, Mm -hmm. so, um, so in other words, I would, I would suggest that your goal and when you're doing this practice might be rather than to have exclusive attention, um, to find that boundary point like find where the edge is where if you do less effort than this you don't have exclusive attention and if you do more effort than this you do and then try to examine how
4: that changes over time does that make sense yeah that that definitely makes sense yeah hmm. Okay, but it's not like a bad thing to have that effort for the concentration uh, uh seven because you know, I was, yeah sorry
0: finish your sentence
4: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was wondering um yeah because if i should do it more like with an intentional way and more um yeah um so it so it's sometimes feels a bit like forced or more like mm-hmm. I'm really concentrated. So I'm going to keep this concentration on the breath and it will work with that effort, but sometimes it feels a bit forced.
0: Um, Okay. Yeah. So what's going on is not that forcing it is working. It's that something that's happening. That's part of what feels like forcing it is working. So one of the things that you might try to do is discover like, so there's, there's probably some intention going on and there's probably some, some um, sort of, you know, what, what people would tend to describe as willpower going on. Um, and if you can notice what's happening there, and, and what I was saying earlier might help you to do this too, where you, where you do the, the backing off and, and, you know, sort of like stepping on the gas and letting go of the gas and stepping on the gas and letting go of the gas to see uh, how much effort is required you might start to notice the subtleties of what's actually that thing that you're calling effort really is um, and so again I would say that that, that uh, it might help to do that now um, as I told you I'm perhaps not the expert on this and I noticed that Sam is here
3: Sam, yeah, I got a, I got a couple thoughts, thoughts on that um, so one thing that I noticed, um, like, are you having any weird like physical reactions like kriyas or weird, like unconscious movements going on with your body or like tension coming up, uh, stuff like that?
4: Um, well, I used to have like vibrations and stuff, but that is uh, less now. So it's it's becoming less and less.
3: Like, what do you mean? Vibrations
4: more like associated with pity, like, uh, like, uh, a, a spasm, like rocking off the body, stuff like that.
3: Yeah. yeah. Cause I've noticed, uh, that kind of stuff for me at least was, uh, associated with effort and too much effort. And, uh, like after a certain point, um, those uh, those movements and stuff will calm down, and it'll there'll be less tension. And I think uh, it's good to watch out for, or at least try to be aware of when there's tension coming up in your body as a result of trying too hard, versus when it's like actually like the PT of stage eight. Because um, I think there's definitely a difference between those. Um, Like, for example, if you try really, really hard and with just a bunch of effort to keep your attention completely exclusive on just a very small part of your nose and you just try really hard, I think uh, you'll see that you'll start to have, like, your body will start moving and you'll start, like, getting uh, unconscious things going on. And I don't think that's, uh, that's, I don't think that's the same thing as stage eight where you have uh like spontaneous body movements. I think there's a difference between that and uh, the efforting tension that you can get. Um, and so I, I went through like a period of that where um, there was there was some effort going on and there was some like tension like I would get this uh, I would get this unconscious thing going on with my with my uh, lips like I would do this sort of like unconsciously. And that was a result of too much effort. Um, and once I sort of got that balance down between, I mean, I don't even really like to think of it as effort. It's like, if you have the unification of mind enough to keep exclusive attention, it really shouldn't, like the effort that you're putting in is really like the effort that it would take to do some very simple action, like like uh, walk through a room holding a cup upright or something. It's really not, not like it's hard by that point. Like at at stage seven, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be hard to keep uh, your attention exclusive. It should just be something that you, you have to pay attention to, to maintain. It shouldn't necessarily be difficult. Um, So if it ever starts to feel difficult, then that could be a sign that, uh, maybe go back to stage six for a while. But if it's like, if it's, if it's sort of situation where, um, you can do it and it's very easy, but the minute you stop paying attention to it, your attention goes, then I would say that's more indicative of stage seven. Um, and for me, uh, it, the, the line between effort and no effort, I don't, I don't know if I'm weird about this, but I never really thought about that very much. Um, I never really put a specific effort into or effort into dropping effort. It just sort of gets easier and easier as you go along to not get distracted. The distractions just come up less and less. And eventually it gets to a point where um, it's just very easy to maintain the mindfulness and the exclusive attention. And it's not it's not like you're efforting very hard and uh, you can let go completely and it'll just stay there. Like you'll know that you're in stage eight when uh, you just, you, you have a period of exclusive attention. I, I'd like to think of it like more like 20, 25, 30 minutes to begin with. If you can keep it that long and it starts to feel really easy, then see if you can just stop trying whatsoever and just keep the intention. And if it just keeps going by itself, then, uh, that's what you're looking for. Um, but if ever, if it ever starts to feel hard, like, like you're actually doing something, then, uh, that's more, um, I think there's more work to do in stage six, maybe. I don't know. Does is that, is any of that, uh, ring a bell with the, un- the the, the, the crazy movements of the body and stuff maybe that's just me
4: um well like i i have periods where it's like effortlessness uh i've had those uh sit, so it fluctuates a lot so i get like i know uh, a bit uh, i understand that the difference um but um i thought maybe i interpreted it wrong that you should that it should be hard in stage seven and that you should like push it through but and i maybe misunderstood that but yeah and i'll I'll, yeah i mean
3: that that hasn't been my experience are you doing the jhanas uh
4: yeah also yeah
3: so yeah those those that's really what conditions your mind to like chill out basically um uh the more you do those it's kind of like you don't even really have to put a lot of effort into this effort non-effort question Uh, if you just do the John's law, you'll just notice that that conditions your mind to just not have as many distractions and it'll get easier and easier just to stay there. And you'll just notice at least, at least how it was for me uh, it's more of a gradual dropping away of effort than it was, than it is like one day deciding that I'm going to try to just drop effort completely and seeing that it wasn't required for me. It's, it's been more of a, uh, just gradually, it just seems easier and easier and easier until, uh, one day you're just like, huh, I'm really not trying that hard and it's still, uh, my attention is still exclusive. I still have the metacognitive awareness and uh, mindfulness is good. Everything's sharp. Um, so I would just like, if I, if I had advice, just keep doing the jhanas, uh, cause those are really what, uh. I think conditions your mind to for effortlessness. Like, are you doing all, all four of them, or?
4: Um, uh, yeah, mostly the first and the second one, and then the body and pleasure. If uh, pleasure is stable enough. Yeah.
3: But. Yeah, I would just keep doing that.
4: But do you do the do you, do you uh, differentiate between the body jhanas and the pleasure jhanas, or do you just? the jhanas, like the pleasure jhanas,
3: so there. I think there's definitely a difference between the body jhanas and the pleasure jhanas, and I think the body jhanas are actually harder um, because uh, you can, like, you can get into a stage seven jhana without having the scope of attention that's necessary to do the stage six jhana, um, because it it, it kind of requires that you have a pretty big bandwidth to do the stage six jhana, but with stage seven, uh, you can get into those jhanas without necessarily being able to breathe with the entire body. Um, so in that in that way, I think it's the stage six jhanas are a little more tricky, at least. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say that they really aren't necessary um, as long as you can do the body breathing. Um, I've had I've, I've worked with a teacher a lot and one way that he likes to think about the jhanas is you can even do stage six body breathing and find a pleasant sensation there and then use that as an object uh, for the stage seven jhana. Um, the book doesn't really sort of doesn't condone that, but if you have the metacognitive awareness to be aware of when you're getting distracted and aware of, where your tension is, it's perfectly fine to just take the stage six jhana or stage, take the body breathing and then find a pleasant sensation there and then use that to uh, go into the stage seven jhana. Um, so I find the stage seven jhanas easier because uh, it doesn't require as much of a bandwidth and some days you have a pretty wide bandwidth and some days Maybe not as much. But um yeah, does that answer the question?
4: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's uh very useful. I'll try to focus more on the and then be also careful with the effort and uh, try to really yeah, you know, notice um the boundaries and when I'm putting too much effort in it and um yeah.
3: Yeah. What, what, so the second Janna, Um do you have a good second jhana going?
4: Um, yeah. I think the first and second are quite stable. After that. So,
3: yeah. The second one is good because that's when the effort drops away. Um, the effort drops away and that just sitting in that one, will condition your mind towards the effortlessness and that will carry over even if you're not in the jhana. Um, And the longer you spend working with the second jhana, you'll eventually uh, find a, it's like, I like to think of it like for each jhana, there's sort of like a handle that you use to climb up to the next jhana. Like with the first jhana, um, that's where there's still some effort being applied and uh, it's more of, physical uh, sensations of uh, Pleasantness and then there's a certain handle that you can sort of mentally get into where you know Just sort of the mental movement that you need to get up to the next jhana Like for me uh, for the second jhana I basically shift the emphasis away from the bodily pleasure and There's this sensation in my head that I can hook on to and at the same time um, just putting on a smile and just shifting the emphasis a little bit more towards like joy then it's like it, it, it's hard to explain but it's like little little handles and it's probably different for each person but um, once you spend enough time in one jhana and you start to see the next jhana uh, you start to Uh, you start to get a unique way of moving up to the next one and it's not I wouldn't restrict yourself to like the Brazington descriptions and what he says specifically because I think for each person I've talked to a lot of people about jhanas and it can be different for each person how they move from one to the next and what makes sense to them Um, so that's just something to look out for and maybe something to mess around with yourself. Uh, if you're having trouble getting from the second to the third, um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say that that's the, that's the fun part. I would just uh, soak in those because that's, that's the easiest way to get effortlessness and it's fun.
4: So, all right. Yeah. That that sounds uh, great. And, um, uh what if you have a day where you can't get a stable jhana uh then yeah. yeah
3: i mean that's okay i mean when the jhanas are first starting to come up uh they won't be every time and the thing that i uh fumbled around with a lot when i was doing jhanas like oh what am i doing wrong i can't get the i can't get the pt going today like uh, my and you know i've i've learned that sometimes Uh, especially in the beginning, it's like your body is sort of in a configuration to have that energy and to do the jhana. And sometimes your mind or in body is just not like inclined towards it. And that's perfectly okay. But uh, the more you practice with them, it gets more and more consistent. And uh, so the key is not to like, not to make a big deal of it right if you if you don't get into the jhana on you know one day and another day you can uh just don't make a big deal of it and just try again really Uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that your concentration is any any less strong it just sometimes uh you know it, it's, it's almost like the weather sometimes like sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but the longer you go and the more you practice the likelihood that uh it the likelihood that you'll get into them is more and more likely all
1: right
4: thanks
3: that was like
0: the day that you first ski ice ski an ice mogul without falling
3: Yeah. Yeah, you fall down a lot and then and then you get it once. once They're like,
0: wait, what happened? (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Um wow. So uh does anybody want to go next? No pressure. Corey. Great. Yeah. Oh, Oh. sorry, go ahead. Let's, let's let Corey go because he's, he's, uh, he's new. Um, by the way, Corey, before you go, I should say that, that I do record these, um, yeah. and I do put them up as a podcast. Uh, you're welcome to ask me to not record what you say if it's something you don't want to have recorded. Uh, okay. But a- as you can see from the discussion we just had, there's a lot of useful stuff in the recording, so yeah. I'll leave it up to you. Okay, thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
5: I appreciate the opportunity to join everybody, so... Thanks. Um, right now, I'm. Uh, I think the the major obstacle that I'm having is um, I'm working in I think what might be described as like late stage four and through stage five, and um, in some of my sits, um, I'm experiencing like stable subtle dullness and once I find myself in a state of stable, subtle illness, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to kind of climb out of that. So I wanted to put that out there to see, um, what have you guys found as effective means for, for working with that? Uh, once you're in it, I have this experience as though once I'm in it, I, it seems like I just can't climb out. Like I'm, I'm kind of sitting inside this um, noise cancellation bubble, um, and it's uh, it's challenging to uh, to climb out of that. Um, so I'm also working in in stage five, and it seems that um, according to the uh, the criteria for mastery and the conclusion of stage five, um, I seem to satisfy that, but um, not not every sit and um maybe in right now maybe in about uh 25 percent of my sessions so i'm i'm still working towards um i think getting a better a better handle on on using the body scan to overcome subtle dullness so anything anybody could offer um in terms of how they manage to familiarize Familiarize themselves with that, and um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm still developing, you know, a greater sense of you know, you know, the the degrees of subtle dullness and the onset of of uh, a deepening of dullness, um, countering it, and uh, and another question I have is trying to. Determine at which point, um, at which point would be good to then try transition into you know the beginning of stage six practices. So, I guess that's a few things um, to kind of get this this part of the conversation going. So,
0: so um, a couple of things to suggest. Uh, first of all generally speaking, you shouldn't think of yourself as being at a particular stage. I notice that you're not really describing yourself that way. You're saying end of stage four, beginning of stage five. So what's really going on there is sometimes you're having the experience that your practice is a stage four practice. And sometimes you're having the experience that your practice is a stage five practice. And maybe sometimes you're having the experience that your practice could be a stage six practice, right? So so that's not wrong. It's That, that impression is not wrong. That's actually very common. It's not at all uncommon that you will find that some days you could do a stage six practice and other days you you really can't. I mean, it's sort of like what Sam was talking about just now, uh, with the so, so that's all, that's all fine. Um, as for, uh, when to decide what, when to move on, um, if you find that you're doing a stage five practice and it's going really well and you feel like you're not having to, um, you feel like you like all of the things that, 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 that Chula Dasa describes as mastery of stage five or happening. Well, then start doing stage six and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you'll find is that if you start doing stage six and you're not ready to be doing stage six, it just won't work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing again. Sam beautifully described this with with the uh, uh, I think when he was talking about going back to stage stage six from stage seven, right? You notice that that it's not really working. Um, and you know, like like in his case, he was talking about um, uh you know that, that if it feels really hard then maybe you should go work on stage six some more if stage seven feels really hard maybe you should go work on stage six some more and the same thing would be true here where if you go into stage six and for me the the the, the decision about stage four to stage five is actually really clear if you try to do stage five practices and dullness increases then that's not the practice to be doing right now mm-hmm. um, so that one's for me at least is pretty easy um, in stage, stage Uh, five to six. um, Wait, can I, can I, sorry,
5: Ted, can I interrupt you for a moment? absolutely. So um, with respect to what you just said um, with stage five, are you referring kind of implicitly to the,
0: to the body scan? Uh, Well, so yeah, stage, stage five is like, is like you're trying, you're trying to increase mental energy. And one of the tools that you have for increasing mental energy is the body scan. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, Uh, you can also do close following on the breath to increase energy, but, but, but the body scan is the new, the new tool that's introduced at stage five for, for really, uh, making progress. And so, yeah, that, that is kind of what I'm talking about when I say stage five. Right.
5: Because I've had, you know, it's, it's been quite effective, more effective for me to just use the close following to increase, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the power and the clarity of, of consciousness at stage five um and but i'd like to be i'd like to develop more skill with the body scan Mm -hmm. and um, at times i will transition into using it and i will notice an increase in dullness and at other times i'm developing more proficiency with it and i'm overcoming some dullness but um i guess part of my questioning here is you know according you know from your own experience um any anybody I mean, how much? How much? Maybe it's different for everybody, and there's no hard and fast rules here. But how much, you know, proficiency and, and skill should one have with the body scan, and what does that look like before transitioning into stage six practices? Because um, I I I would like to I would like to become, you know, better at it. And from what I've been reading, um, it seems like. It's quite important for the kind of whole body practices done in, in stage six. So I don't want to I don't want to move too quickly through that. Um,
0: yeah, I, I can go ahead, Sam.
3: Yeah. So I think the marker there, uh, if you're doing the body scan right, it's not necessarily that you feel the breast sensations, although that's helpful. Um, what you're looking for is that when you're doing the body scan, ideally the vividness and clarity of your mindfulness is going to be increasing as a result of doing that, and you're not getting gross distractions or dullness as a result of doing the body scan. Uh, So it's basically like taking your mind and sort of doing push-ups with it. So you're stretching your mental bandwidth and you're stretching your mindfulness ever so slightly beyond what you're capable of, and then it grows a little bit each time. Um, so I, I struggled a lot with stage five. Like I had a very long period where I was mostly in stage five with mm-hmm. the uh, stable subtle dullness. And what mm-hmm. I learned is I was being uh, premature a lot with going into stage five. Like I would, I would, uh, I would spend time in stage four and there'd be no gross distractions, uh, no strong dullness for maybe ten or fifteen minutes, and then I would move into stage five. Um, and I hit like a roadblock basically with stage five, where I couldn't overcome the stable dullness. It just wouldn't, the clarity wouldn't increase. It just wouldn't go anywhere. Like I wasn't getting dull, I wasn't necessarily getting too distracted, but it would, it was, it just wasn't going anywhere. Right. Um, so, what helped me there was to stay a little bit longer in stage four and extend that time where I was in stage four to like maybe the first 30 minutes of the session. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm still not getting gross distractions and not getting dullness there, then move into stage five. And after I started spending more time ensuring that stage four was solid before moving into stage five, Mm -hmm. then I started noticing that there was an increase in mindfulness when I did the body scan. So it could be that you're just simply not uh, waiting long enough to make sure that dullness and distraction is uh, is gone for that particular session. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering how long are you waiting, like how long are you doing stage four before you're deciding that you're sharp enough for stage five?
5: Yeah, um, well, it, it all depends. I mean, sometimes, um, I think I'm, you know, I'm meeting the, cre- the criteria for, you know, stage five and, and late stage five, but staying with the, you know, the breath of the nose feels so good that there's a, a reluctance to move on to the body skin. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, develop, you know, ways of thinking about, you know, this moment of transition, you know, when 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 should I do that? Um, when, when you talk about kind of prematurely transitioning into stage five, are, are, you, are, you, are you kind of always marking stage five with like synonymously with doing the body scan? Um, or are you ever doing stage five practices while staying at the nose? Um,
3: um, so for me, uh, I think at, and according to the book, stage five is not specifically doing the body scan. That's not mm-hmm. um, stage five in itself. That's one mm-hmm. of the tools of stage five. Um, The other practice of stage five, if I'm understanding correctly, and uh, Ted, you can correct me on this if I'm I'm not right. Uh, The other practice is you're intending to observe the breath with an increased amount of clarity, and you're intending to uh, discern more details in the breath while still maintaining the introspective awareness. So those two things are important to have at the same time. You can be intending to... Uh, have more detail in the breath and you can be successful at getting more detail in the breath Mm -hmm. but your introspective awareness could be collapsing at the same time. Right. Uh, So that's the idea with stage five is uh, you're trying to increase the mindfulness and the body scan is just one way of accomplishing that. Mm -hmm. Um, if, If you're able to increase your mindfulness incrementally just by intending to see the breath more clearly mm-hmm. and that that actually works then that's fine uh you may not even need to do the body scan but the body scan is really helpful because it allows you to expand your mental bandwidth basically right. it, it conditions your mind to bring more moments of consciousness to what you're doing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like you you might be having trouble with the transition and keeping attention where it's supposed to be on on the body part. Is that
5: is yeah, that something yeah.
3: that?
5: Yeah. So in in terms of uh, you know my experience with the body scan, um, I noticed like the the first step in the book is to transition to the to the abdomen, and for me experientially. Um, that i'm and i'd like to hear what you guys have have to say about this but i i I tend to be able to you know sustain attention you know with greater clarity while maintaining introspective awareness using other body parts um i and i think it's i've never worked you know prior to practicing tmi i never worked with the abdomen as as an object and so there there seems to be like there's some subtle reluctance and aversion towards towards using that as 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 an object and sometimes i can comfortably you know sustain my attention there but this is i think this is part of the difficulty is that some agitation arises when i when i try to sustain attention there and then that agitation tends to kind of spoil the um the state of mind and it ends up um, in effect, uh, leading to a regression back to um, I guess stage four and and an increase in, in in dullness. so um, i don't I don't know if if, if everybody like follows the the um, the step by step method insofar far as you know maintaining attention with clarity at the abdomen until sensations are clearly perceived and then transitioning to other parts of the body. I've been trying to do that sometimes, and at other times taking a more indirect approach through other parts, and then making my way to the abdomen. So, um,
3: Yeah, so for me, uh, I I didn't find the intermediate step with the abdomen all that necessary uh, when I was doing stage five a lot. Um, It's in the book, so I mean, I guess it's important for some reason, but I found that... I could just go directly to, say, like my foot, for example, um, without going through the abdomen. Mm-hmm. And the key for me was just, just treat, the, treat the other body part that you're observing just like it's your nose, basically. You're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to keep your attention there mm-hmm. and maintain your awareness. So if you just keep that intention and just, if you're having the awareness, keep looking back. And keep checking in, is my attention really on that body part? Because it can be really easy with the body scan to be thinking that your attention is like on your foot, for example, but it's really not there. Uh, And that's part of uh, the practice also is developing the ability to put your attention where you want it to and having the awareness to know, like... Where your attention is, and be aware of where your attention actually is. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much if it's, if you're getting tension. I think that just means that your mind is learning how to put your attention on different places. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just uh, the most important thing I think is just being aware of where your attention is, and uh, if it's if you find that it's not where you're intending to put it, then just try to put it there. And it might be hard at first since you're so used to putting your attention on the breath, but, uh, eventually it'll just get easier and easier and you can switch just with intention, uh, like smoothly to from, you know, the breath to your arm, to your leg, whatever. And that's just part of the practice. But if there's, if there's tension coming up, I would just suggest, um, not worrying about it too much but just being aware of what's going on in your mind and uh just just keeping the intention to have your attention go where you want it to basically
0: okay there's also a tendency to over control which can produce Mm -hmm. the attention that you're talking about sam um so so one thing to do when you're trying to place your attention on that body part is to to notice uh how much of a struggle it is and if it feels like it's a bit of a struggle see if there's any part of that struggle that you can let go of um this is so a lot of the things that you and sam are talking about are things that i've experienced as well i have the same kind of attitude about the breath at the abdomen um one of the things about the breath at the abdomen which i discovered after quite a bit of resistance to using it is that it's actually a better um if you, if you look at what Chuladasa actually says in the book, he doesn't say that you're supposed to be like focusing on the breath of the abdomen as part of the stage five practice. What he's saying is is uh, you want to get familiar with the breath of the abdomen so that you can use it as a, as, as a uh, barometer for following the subtle sensations of the breath in the body. Um, and it turns out, I've this is just my personal experience, I don't know if this is true of everybody, but it turns out for me that it's actually easier to notice the the actual progress of the breath at the abdomen then at the nose. At the nose, it's a lot of sensation and actually noticing, oh, this is the in-breath, this is the out-breath starts to become harder and harder. Whereas at the abdomen, it's a lot easier. And so the abdomen just winds up being, it's, it's like, you know, when you go to the hospital and they attach you to all these monitors and stuff, like the abdomen just happens to be a really good monitor for the breath. So it, it for me at least, um, when I'm trying to notice breath sensations in the body, uh, comparing to the abdomen, is less work than comparing to the nose, mm-hmm. and 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 you may find that 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 you can use that as a way to um, overcome your aversion to using the abdomen because the, the point is not to like learn a new way of following the breath. Mm-hmm. It's just a convenient
3: tool.
4: Okay, great.
3: Um, so another couple things I would add, if it's if you're finding it hard to find the sensations. I think that's that's normal in the beginning but something that one of my teachers has told me is to uh, if you're not if you're not sensing anything the absence of a sensation is what you can focus on so if you're directing your attention at your foot and you're like okay I don't feel anything at my foot try to just make your try to just be aware that your attention is on your foot and that you're not feeling anything um, that can help you to stay on track. And also I've heard from a lot of people that it helps to open your eyes and if necessary, if you're having trouble getting your attention to where you want it to go, try it like looking down at that body part and then syncing it up with your vision. Uh, people say that for whatever reason that helps them scope their attention to whatever body part they're trying to go towards. So that might help.
5: Okay, great. Um, Thank you both for your feedback. The, if if I may, just ask um, what what anybody has found effective once you find yourself like settled into a state of stable, subtle dullness. What what are you guys using to 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 climb out of that? Um, I almost feel like I'm I'm in a sense kind of relegated to to spending the rest of the session in that state. Um, Progressive subtle dullness doesn't doesn't start, but it's it's like, as I said before, I'm kind of in this bubble. Um.
3: Um, So I think it's different for each person. Like, I found what works best for me is expanding the scope of attention. That's one of the things that he mentions in stage five. That works best for me particularly, but I think every person is different, and you sort of have to experiment a little bit with the different suggestions Mm -hmm. to see what is most effective for you to, like, perk up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you might have a period where like just nothing is working but that doesn't mean that it's ineffective what you're doing like it just means that the intentions are being sent and with enough application of that intention eventually your mind will start to wake up Um, it it might not happen immediately and I had a long period of practice where it seemed like I was not perking up no matter what I did Mm -hmm. but uh, Eventually, it will start happening and it can help just to experiment with different things Sorry, my computer <laughs> okay. so i Okay Sorry,
0: sorry. I'll, I'll interject here that, that I, I actually have a particular go-to method that I use that I find really helpful Which is to mm-hmm. try to feel the individual fingers or toes Um and often the, the way in for me is actually feeling, trying to feel the, the space between two fingers. So like, like, you, you know, some of your fingers have more, uh, nerves than others. Yeah. So, uh, try and also this is true of your toes. And I actually usually use my toes. Um, I usually try to feel the sensation of the gap between my little toe and my second littlest toe. Um, and this is, I'm being very specific, not because you should do this exact thing, but because, mm. you know, something like this might work for you. Uh, but for, for whatever reason, like looking for that gap then gets me in touch with the feeling of the surface of the skin on the inside of, you know, between the two toes. And once I've done that, then I can feel the, the little toe and then I can go to the next toe and the next toe and the next toe and the next toe. And by the time I get to the big toe, um, subtle dullness has decreased. Mm.
5: Okay, I'll try that too
0: yeah uh, it's Excellent. funny, but
5: yeah no I I, I, I I like working with the with the limbs and and uh, the hands and feet as well i I find that can be effective, but uh i'll I'll keep that one kind of forefront and, and center and uh, and give it a shot next time i'm I'm back in that state. Um, I appreciate all of the time and and uh, and everything you guys have said, so i'll uh allow somebody else to speak.
0: Okay. I think Martin had his hand up. Do you still have time, Martin?
2: Yeah, I do. I don't want to keep I don't want to keep you guys too long though. I always feel bad dragging oh. this out so long.
0: No no. This is this is a joy.
2: All right. So I just came back from my first retreat. Yay. <laughs> so I did a ten day retreat and I had a very specific experience that i wanted to get some tmi style feedback for because the retreat wasn't in a in a tmi or a a setting that is close to tmi it's pretty different different group Um, so what happened for me was i noticed that my mindfulness increased a lot so I had many, many moments of mindfulness throughout the day. Um, And I would just keep waking up to my inner monologue. Um, And it felt like every couple of seconds. So um, it kind of ramped up over the days um, and got to a point where it was probably by far the strongest it's ever been. Where I was just constantly waking up to the kind of thought stream going on in the head, like the internal self talk, um, which is nice, I guess. That's what you need to happen, right? However, um, I had basically no stability of attention. So during the formal sits, I was basically in stage two with high awareness like it was all awareness no attention like i would struggle to even like i would try and do the four-step transition Mm -hmm. and i would take 40 minutes to do it because i was getting derailed so much um so i got really like for a while i got pretty upset by that because um I kind of, I I get now why people say don't go in with strong expectations, which I tried to do, but failed. And I like midway through realized that I had the expectation of getting really stable attention and maybe getting like some higher stages going. So I got really annoyed and pissed off. And then I kind of recovered myself after like one or two days and kind of came back to a sense of joy and just coming back with a sense of ease and joy um, and then I had some I had some sits where my concentration actually got pretty good after that but it was like like two three sits where I had I guess like maybe stage four ish stability of attention so um, you're nodding you were nodding your head as if that's something that's uh, not unique.
0: This is, this is all very familiar on many different levels. I mean, the, the the trajectory that you just described for your retreat is a trajectory that I've had in several retreats. It's very common. You go into the retreat and you're like all gung-ho and you're expecting all kinds of cool things to happen and, you know, you like you fall asleep on the cushion or whatever. I mean, you know, something goes wrong. It's, it's different every time. And then there's like a period of, of adjustment to that and sometime in the middle of the I remember the first retreat I did with Dasa, I actually wanted to leave. I actually was like forming the intention to get up get in the car and drive home. <laughs> I was so discouraged with the retreat. And the only thing that stopped me was that Andrew was in the retreat with me. And I didn't want to disturb her retreat by doing that. And and that was the only thing that kept me there. But then the next day it was beautiful. Like the, it was like, it was like the storm had passed. So, I mean, that experience is incredibly common. And it's, 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 you know, I think it's every time that happens, like you, you, you break some little resistance in yourself. And so it's actually, you know, one of the benefits of retreat is that you force yourself to go through, through that, you know, that storm and the storm is different every time, but, but, but it's, it's really common for there to be some kind of storm in the middle of a retreat that you have to get through. And, um, so that's one of the things I was nodding about, but only one. The other thing I was nodding about is, so you had this experience a while back that felt pretty transformative for you, as I recall. Um, and, uh, I had, something similar happened and I had the exact same experience afterwards, which is suddenly my, uh, my ability to, to to decide what was going to happen with my attention went away. Like it just all of that training that I had worked so hard on just went away. Um, and it was okay because I was happy. And so I wasn't like attached to the fact that, that, that it had got, you know, that I, like my ability to control my attention wasn't a thing that I was deeply attached to. It was frustrating, but it was, basically okay. Um, you know, as you say, like I had experiences of retreat where, where I got pretty frustrated about it, but, but, you know, bottom line is okay. So, so my point is, this is really common and what's probably going on is that when, what was working for you before was motivated by something that's dropped. Um, and, uh, so it's possible that your desire and aversion <clears throat> have become less strong um and desire and aversion <laughs> i
2: have, have re- noticed that
0: yeah right so desire and aversion can be very powerful motivating tools and they can really help you with your meditation practice i'm not kidding um and the problem is uh then when you have a success in your meditation practice and desire and aversion drop away substantially suddenly what was working isn't going to just it's just not going to work anymore it's, it, you you can't use that technique for for getting to stability anymore And so now you have to learn a a different technique. And so, um, unfortunately what that means for you is basically, I mean, well, I'll say two things about it. One is you're pretty much going to have to relearn the stages. Um, and I say this because I had to go through the same thing and it was really frustrating because it was like, man, I was at stage four. And now like I can't even keep my attention stable. What's going on here? This sucks. But you know, but it was okay. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> but you, you just, you basically, you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn all over again, how to do that. And part of the, part of the challenge that you're going to have is, is that flip where before uh, it, it might've felt like you were living mostly in attention and awareness was kind of the peripheral. Now awareness is central and attention. Yeah. is peripheral. And so part of what you have to relearn is just finding attention. Like, like just even noticing that attention is present at all can be difficult. Right, like, like, what you'll, you, what your experience may be is that you just sit there, and, and every so often you notice that attention is wandering, and the rest of the time you're not even aware that attention is wandering because it's just not that central. So, 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 one of your tasks is actually just to learn how to find attention when it's not, you know, thrusting itself into, into awareness. Um, and to have a stable, to be able to have a stable thread of following what's going on in attention. So basically, in a sense, you've got this powerful metacognitive awareness that's there all the time. It's mindfulness you were talking about in retreat as a, 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 you know, an example of that, right? So, but, but it's it's it encompasses your entire experience, not just attention, right? And so, attention is just this little thing that's in this huge thing. And this huge thing is now where your, where your experience is most of the time, and so, so learning to learning to in a sense what you have to do is actually make this huge thing even brighter, because the more bright it is, the more you can experience the the little piece of attention, the more detailed it is, the more likely you are to find that one detail. Um, so I'm I'm not saying this as a practice. I'm saying this more as a pointer because. I don't actually know the answer to this. I mean, I've, I've been fumbling around with it for the last two years. Um, and I've made progress as a result of that. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that, uh, you can often access the higher stages, even though the lower stages are hard for you. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so for example, when I was talking to, uh, Jan earlier I was saying I'm not really an expert on stage seven and the reason I'm not really an expert on stage seven is because I can do stage eight practices without doing stage seven so you know one of the things you can do which is I think actually a very valid thing to do is just do that but it doesn't mean that 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 it's not worth working on the, the lower stages because I think there is a huge benefit to doing that as well so I, I say that partly just because you know you might feel like you've really backslid quite a bit more than you have, so so see if you can access those other practices and see if that works, and and see, use those practices as a way to notice when attention is not doing what you need it to do, right, so so see if you, like, you might try to do a stage eight insight practice, and you might find attention suddenly disturbing your stage eight insight practice, well, guess what, you've just discovered attention, now you can do it, now you can do stage two for a while, <laughs> so... So yeah. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, I was basically doing stage two all day. Mm-hmm. Like it feel it, it felt like there was this huge um, imbalance between awareness and attention, mm-hmm. where I was just constantly waking up to mind wandering all day. Mm-hmm. Like one one thing, my the the teacher actually actually said, which really resonated with me, is. When you really listen to yourself, you just dis- you discover that you're not nearly as interesting as you thought you were. And that was that was really, really humbling. And, and oh that's so true. It's it's kind of like <laughs> I'm trying to see the, the silver lining here, but yes to be honest, it's re- it was really hard to face up to just how bad it is like up here Um, because just like seeing it this close up and with this much intensity all the time was actually pretty tough. Yeah. So the way it went for me is like, I would, I would like go on a walk and do like a casual, like stage one walking meditation, just keeping, keeping attention in the body. And it would stay there for like three steps, like five seconds, maybe. And then it would be gone and like three seconds later i would wake up to my like mini mind wandering episode again and it was like i I couldn't keep attention stable at all but i would constantly discover that it was not stable so and this is really weird because it felt like awareness was all like turned up to 11 and attention was like negative a million
0: yeah one other thing to think about, I mean, there are many things to think about here. One thing to think about is um, just to ask the question, why is attention not stable? Um, and uh, the answer might be simply that you don't intend for it to be stable.
2: Well, I was, I was trying to do it though. Like... I, I get that,
0: <laughs> but go a little deeper and see if you can, see if you can just explore that question. Do you really intend for your attention to be stable? Because you may find that actually, if you if you examine it more closely, um, that what's going on is that is that yes, you have a strong intention for your attention to be stable, but you also have other intentions that are fighting with it, that um, that are producing instability. Or you may intellectual you may have like this sort of like yes, I would like my attention to be stable, but you actually don't really care. Like like. Like it may be that like, for, so for example, the experience of perhaps being annoyed that your attention wasn't stable might happen even though the intention for it to be stable wasn't strong enough to keep it stable. So, so, so the two things, the, the, the recognition and, and sort of sort of disappointment or annoyance or whatever feeling comes up when you recognize that it's not stable could be completely separate from the intention for it to be stable.
2: Yeah, uh, could could be I, I don't see any like doesn't resonate too much with me. Like, okay. I guess it was kind of getting in my own way with uh, expectations and so forth. Mm-hmm. But that's only to be expected. Yeah. I guess. So yeah, oh, so, I'll try to investigate if there's like some hidden motive there.
0: Yeah so the, the uh, uh, another face to look at is um, the feeling of agency um, so uh, there's this there's this idea that there's somebody controlling attention right like like you know before that that idea that there was somebody controlling attention might have seemed true now it probably seems less true
2: right yeah no it still seems really like it still seems like I'm doing the, uh, okay. what, what is it called? Like the directing attention. Yeah. Like, uh, directing right. attention to like, let's say the nose mm-hmm. that's, that's me doing it. Right. And then I kind of lose control and my mind does its own thing. And then yeah. I wake up and redirect it. That yeah. is, that's what it feels like.
0: Right. So, so maybe investigate that me that's, that's holding the intention and see if, see if the me and the intention are the same thing and or you know i'm, I'm giving that as, as a suggestion i'm not saying this is what you will see but just just you know look at that whole complex with a beginner's mind like like don't don't know what the answer is but just look at it and try to unpack it and try to see what's in there um and see if you can find something but you know it, there's a lot of things that you, that you may have to do. I mean, I, I don't I don't have a clear answer for this. For me, what happened was it took me months actually to to find a way <laughs> to to consistently find my attention again. Yeah, and um,
2: you're making you're making me feel more hopeful by the minute here.
0: Good. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, it and and you know, it, uh, another thing that's that you know, um, so so Gilbert isn't here, but he's pointed this out to me several times, is that. You're now noticing things at a much subtler level than you were before. Yeah, and so uh, you might not even have noticed these tr- these these yeah. issues before. Yeah, um, and now you're noticing them, and so it feels really big, but it doesn't yeah. mean you've actually backslid.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I was constantly trying to like see the positive side of this, where like it's really good to have a lot of awareness and have a lot of mindfulness. I mean, it's technically it's probably not truly mindfulness if there's no stable attention but like these these moments of remembering like uh i'm not doing what i wanted to do like i've, I've been wandering away so yeah. i mean it's good to have that but it's also really yeah. difficult to constantly face how like the um, how not advanced i am yet you know like the I'm constantly yeah, well, failing to keep attention stable. That's that like the thought I was constantly battling. That, so that so
0: that, that's a great observation,
2: right? Isn't that a great observation?
0: You're noticing this feeling of basically, uh, what, what was the word that I was using with Mike earlier? Um, uh, what was it? sort of, sort of negativity about your practice, like you're seeing that very clearly. This is one of, so, so you actually have very strong mindfulness, right? Like the fact that you're seeing this is, is evidence of that mindfulness. The fact that you're seeing this so clearly and you're seeing it as a thing that you can look at and not just as like me, yeah. Yeah. right? This is really powerful. Like, 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 you know, um, part of this is a pep talk, but also part of it is like a pointer that, um, That when you see this happening, see it for what it is, right? Like, like this negative self-talk, that's the word I was using with Mike. This negative self-talk is actually part of the problem and you're seeing it clearly. And that is beautiful because when you can see the negative self-talk clearly, when you can objectify it, when you can have mindfulness about it, then you can actually purify it. Yeah. And figuring out how to purify it not something that i can give you a clear answer for because it's going to be something it's going to be personal right but yeah but the fact that you can see it is really great
2: yeah i was i was trying to see it as a hindrance mm -hmm. um to where i I managed to kind of drop it like Mm -hmm. several times where i would really see it as just a hindrance coming up in this objective way and then go like i don't want this like just like let it go Mm -hmm. It's really sticky and it keeps coming back. And yeah. then I find myself like really holding onto it again. And then I kind of have to dig dig myself out again.
0: So um one of the things about letting go of things is that, you know, imagine that you're like a spaceship vacuum going at a million miles an hour, and you're a spaceship that's holding on to a fuel tank. And you're going along at a million miles an hour and the fuel tank is going on at a million miles an hour and you let go of the fuel tank. What happens to the fuel tank? Yeah. It's just like it's still there. Just, right. But you're not holding on to it anymore. It's just there. And so, so your task with letting go of things is not to get rid of them. It's just to let go of them. They may go or they may not. Depends on, yeah. how much thrust is being applied in other directions really. Right. So, so don't be attached to, to them going away when you let go of them and don't feel like that they've gone away as an indication that you succeeded in letting letting go of them. Cause actually you can be very attached to them and have them go away for a while and they come right back. And this is what yeah. you're experiencing. So, so what you really want is to, is to actually let go of them. Um, and, and that requires a certain degree of surrender. And just like, you know, I'm going to let go of this and it's still going to be there, but that's okay. It's fine. Yeah. I don't have to do anything about that.
2: Yeah. I think that's what I, what I actually did. Okay. Like the way I, I, I thought about it was just keep on practicing, like, just do the practice and like, don't worry about the thing so much. Like, mm-hmm. just see this, like this disturbance and just keep coming back and do the thing. Yeah. Like you know what to do just do it
0: yep good
2: okay so so basically back to stage 2 right
0: <laughs> yeah like, but really don't, don't be discouraged i mean you know like like your situation is so much better than it was i know it, i there's there's yeah. this feeling like like i have this thing too right where like you know here i am hosting this meditation like meet up every every saturday morning and you know, I have to admit that my practice of stage seven is pretty limited, if, if, if at all, right? And, and that, that has two problems, right? One is that, that, that it's, it's bad for my ego, which is actually wow. good. Um, and the other is that, that it's, um, it means that my capacity to help people with the particular problems they're having is limited. But turns out that's okay because Sam showed up. So, <laughs> so it wasn't actually a problem. And, and this is part of letting go, right? It's just like, you know, it's going to be fine anyway. It's going to work out. Sam's going to show up.
2: All right. Good. Thanks.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, it's getting on 1130. Does anybody else want to bring anything up before we say goodbye? see. Probably nobody gets that reference, right? So maybe Ben. <laughs> maybe Ken. Oh, <laughs> you Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great seeing everybody, and hopefully I'll see uh, any of you next week.
5: Okay. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's, it's been very good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming.
5: I appreciate everybody's help.
4: Okay.